name is Geneve. It's good to see all of your faces. It's been a while. Hey, if you guys don't know me, my husband Scott and I, we pastor our K-Town campus downtown. Uh, it's We have two campuses of the Rock Kalamazoo here. And, um, and so today, I get to be with you guys, and Pastor Daniel gets to be with K-Town. And so I have seen, some of you guys are familiar, some of you guys are not. So um, it's really good to be here with you guys today. Uh, we're going to jump right in. How many of you guys know of Mr. Rogers? How many of you guys know that name? It's kind of, like, he's kind of like a legend, like a little bit, right? Um, a lot of us grew up with watching Mr. Rogers on TV, and... Um, and he, if you guys don't know, he had a TV show that started in the 60s. Are, is it okay if I sit? Are you guys okay? All right. <laughs> Pregnant lady over here. Um, so he started this TV show in the 60s, and the show was called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And I love this show. I was, like, kind of looking up some uh, facts about his show and looking uh, him up on YouTube and kind of reminiscing about, you know, what he did and all of the different people that he impacted. And what was so amazing to me was I was reading the comments under these YouTube videos of reruns of his show. And uh, I can't tell you how many thousands of people, I was reading them and, like, crying, how many thousands of people commented and said, oh, Mr. Rogers, I grew up with this guy in my home, like watching him and so impactful in my life. You know, he was the father that I didn't have. He taught me things no one else did. And I just thought, how influential was this guy? And um, I love it because he wasn't just some, you know, TV producer guy who like he pulled Joe Schmo off the street, was like, hey, I have this idea and you look the part. So let's do this thing. Um, Fred Rogers actually was a real person who did not like the way that TV shows were talking to kids at the time. So he decided to do something about it. So he started his own show. He wrote, he composed, he had all the scripts. He did it all. Uh, and for a while, it was just in his little community. That's where they showed the show. And then it just took off, and it became nationwide. And this is the thing about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is he didn't just live in the community. He wasn't just part of the world that he was living in. He owned it. He owned his neighborhood. And so he, uh, you know, very purposefully called the show Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood because he said, this is mine. And, you know, neighboring, this concept of being a neighbor, um, it's, it's actually really important in the Bible, too. So if you guys have your Bibles today, we're actually going to be in Mark chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 29. And setting up the story just a little bit, here was a teacher of the law. Um, and he asked Jesus an important question. He asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Like, I want to know, like, above all the other commandments, what is the greatest? And Jesus said this. He says, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And we're going to keep going. <laughs> and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. This one is so important because back then, you guys have read in the Bible, all throughout the Old Testament, there were idols, there were other religions that infiltrated what Israel believed. There were other countries that came in and, you know, pushed their religion on them. And so God, Jesus here is establishing the greatest commandment is that the Lord is one. There is only one God. And you have to love him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, which means that you cannot love anything else above him. 
So that's established, right? God is one. The Lord is one. There's only one God. You've got to love him with all your heart. And then he goes on and he says this. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. I find it interesting because here's a teacher of the law. And the teacher asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Like, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, look, I can't answer you with one. I have to tell you both. Because the reality is, if you love God, you'll love people. These go hand in hand. If you love God and God is the most important and he's the only God you have in your life and you love him with all your heart, you will love your neighbor. So these go hand in hand. These, it says, this is the greatest commandment. No other commandment is greater than these. Dallas Willard once said that familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. Like, what does that mean? How many of you guys have ever read scripture and you're like, oh, yeah, I, I know the scripture. Like, I know that. Love God, love people. And then you just keep reading. Like, I do that all the time. And so I was reading over this and I was like, oh, like, love God, love people, right? Love the people that you come and encounter with. Love the people that, you know, is going through your drive through window. Love the people who's bagging your groceries. Love your... And then, and then it hit me, as I was listening to a teaching, it hit me that somehow love God, love people, when bi- the Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself, somehow in there, I excluded my actual neighbors. Like, that's what Dallas Willard was saying. When you, familiarity, it breeds unfamiliarity. Sometimes as we read, we think to ourselves, oh, I already know this. So then you just keep reading without digging in and asking yourself the hard questions, right? And so it starts breeding this unfamiliarity because you look back and you realize, I totally missed it somehow. And that's what happened to me. I'm reading this and I'm like, somehow in my mind, neighbor just became this generalized definition of whoever I come and encounter with, which is true. But somehow in there, I excluded my actual neighbors that I live next to who live 30 feet from me and sleep and eat and live their life that's close in proximity with me. Somehow I missed it, right? In Luke, it says this, Luke 10, 25 to 29. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the expert said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replied, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But this is the part I want us to focus on. The expert in the law wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? You know, you don't ever try to justify yourself if you think you're wrong. You justify yourself because you think you're right. And you try to find where the line is to make yourself feel better and say, hey, I'm on the right side of the line. This expert in the law, expert, right? The Bible doesn't exaggerate. So this guy, he knows the law in and out, and he wanted to justify himself. He's like, oh, I got it. I love the Lord my God. You're the only God I have. And love, love my neighbor? I think I got it. Yeah. So who's my neighbor? Jesus, tell me where is the line so I can make sure that I'm on the right side of it. You know, sometimes we do that when we read the Bible and we 
try and make these definitions of what we think things mean. But really what it is, is we want God to help us set a standard so we live right at that standard and nothing more. Sometimes we try and define, God, tell me, define this for me, create this boundary for me so that I don't have to be more uncomfortable than I am, that I don't have to go beyond that boundary. Really, God, just tell me who my neighbor is so I can check it off my checkbox. And God says, look, anything that I've just listed, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, you already can't do that. Like how many of us can say we can do that? I can't. I struggle. Like I love the Lord, but with all my heart, all my mind, and then to love my neighbor as myself, I, I already can't do the first thing. I definitely can't do the second thing. Because what God's standard is, is perfection. See, when we ask God, what is your standards? God's saying, like, my standard's perfect. And, and the reality is, none of us can meet that perfection, which is why Jesus came, praise God, right? He already took care of it. There is no standard. The standard is to love. That when we receive the grace of God, when we receive the overwhelming love of God, then we pour it out. Sometimes I think we look at these checkboxes and these standards and we say, God, just tell me what to do right. And God's saying, I just want you to have the right heart. Sometimes I think we try to figure out where the standards are and what the checkboxes are so that we know exactly, like, so I can, I can just lift it up, list it off and make sure I hit them. But God's saying, look, Jesus already hit them. He just wants us to love. Love your neighbor as yourself. So then he finishes the story after the expert says, so who is my neighbor? And Jesus finishes with this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to go down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So, too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. I'm going to stop right there. You know, both the priest and the Levite were religious leaders. Like, if anybody knew how to get the checkbox right, if anybody knew what the standards were, it was this priest and Levite. And when it says that they came down from Jerusalem to Jericho, a lot of the times back then, they did all of their priestly and Levitical work in Jerusalem because that's where the temple was, right? They did all that. And then most of them, they lived in Jericho. So they would travel up to Jerusalem and then go back home to Jericho. So this might be a place where they just got done serving God, doing their work. And on the way home, they see a guy half dead on the road, and they walk on the other side. And they might think, because I've, I've thought this. I, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we've all thought this. Like, they might see this guy, and they might think, well, I don't know how needy this is going to be. Like, if I help him now, like, how long is he going to need me for? Or, like, I have dinner at home waiting. My spouse is waiting for me. Or, or this guy is half dead. Like, I don't even know if he is dead. 
And as a priest and Levite back then, like, if anybody touches a dead thing, you become unclean. And so then you have to go through this inconvenient process of being purified. And I think that, like, I've done that, right? When we look at someone in need and you're like, well, how much time do I have? So they walk on to the other side. See, these guys, they weren't bad men. The priest and the Levite were not bad people. They were busy men. They were busy people. And sometimes we can get so caught up in serving God that we end up not being like him at all. It's the heart that God is after. Jesus ends the story about a good Samaritan who goes out of his way to go and help this guy, uses his own resources, his own time. And Jesus says to him, be like that guy. Who is your neighbor? Be like that guy. I look at this and I, I was reading, I was so convicted because I was reading this and I was like, I am that Levite. I am that priest that I can get so caught up in the things I have to do day to day that I haven't made any margin in my life at all to meet new people, to invite them over, to go out of my way. I haven't made any margin in my schedule to do any of that stuff. I'm going from A to B to C. I got to get all the stuff on my task list done. And I think, is that really the heart of God? Can we get so caught up thinking that we're serving God, but really we're just serving our schedules? I had to ask myself that question. And I can remember so often, that is exactly how I am. Let me tell you something about Scott. For those of you guys who know my husband, Scott, I'm the extrovert. I love talking to people and, you know, all that stuff. Scott, not that he doesn't love talking to people. He's just better one-on-one. -on -one. You know, he doesn't like big groups of people. And, uh, but he has this amazing ability to, like, befriend strangers. Like, it's just in him. So a while ago, I don't know, a few months ago or something, we were done eating at Olive Garden, and I'm so full, and I'm so pregnant, and I'm like, I'm ready to just go home. Somebody roll me to the car, like, and I got, I got stuff to do at home, you know, and just like A to B to C. Like, I just know the things that are coming up. So I'm like walking to the car, you know, we exit, and I look around, and I'm like, Scott's gone. Where'd he go? Like, <laughs> what just happened? I look back, and uh, my husband is now talking to some stranger that's sitting on the bench outside of Olive Garden because he had a Kentucky, like, sweatshirt on. And Scott just, like, strikes, strikes up a conversation with him, like, hey, you know, Kentucky, did you go to Kentucky? Yeah, are you from around here? How'd you end up here? Blah, blah, blah. And, like, ten minutes later, then, you know, this guy, like, spills his life about whatever. I don't know, where he went to school and all this stuff, and they just make a connection. And I, like, thought to myself, like, like my husband so does not operate on, like, like a schedule. Like he operates in the present. You know, he, he, he is always like, it, he is here, he is with you. You know, and I'm like, I am here, but I might be thinking about lunch. You know, I, I'm being very raw with you guys here. And I'm just like, that is so amazing. And he convicts me every time. I remember when we first started dating and um, 
we were going through a drive-through. <laughs> and I'm laughing because um, this really goes back to like, like we can so know the Bible and not live the Bible. Uh, we're in we're in the drive-through and uh, he starts striking. I mean, he just he like gives the money, you know, and he's like, "How's your day? Oh yeah, when's your shift over?" And I mean, there's cars behind us, and I'm like, "Like you gotta go, like go to the next window," you know. But he was he just so cared, and so I'm like starving. And, you know, like women, I don't know, when we starve, I feel like it's 10 times worse than men. I don't know. And so I'm like, go to the next window. Like, I just want my food. And um, and then we go to the window, and he's chatting it up with the girl there. And like, yeah, so how long have you worked here? I mean, just, you know, tell me your life story. And I don't know. So so we drive away, and I ask them, like, why do you have to talk to everybody? <laughs> I mean, I really did. <laughs> Like, why do you have to? And this is what he said. Well, I might be the only real conversation they have today. And I was like, okay. <laughs> okay, Jesus. <laughs> so convicted. It's not a guilt thing. It's not a guilt thing. I'm convicted. I realized that that's the heart of God. That if we can let go of trying to do the right thing and figure out what the right standards are and what are the checkboxes and the do's and don'ts, like that's like the furthest thing that God wants. God wants us to capture his heart. And I'm like, and, and I think I, I, I err so much on the other side. So at the end of the day, I'm like, did I do my 20 things today? And I like miss it. I miss his heart altogether. What is the heart of the Lord for people? So the question is not who is my neighbor, like the expert of the law asked. The question is to whom am I being a neighbor to? Last year at Rock Conference, um, we had a speaker. His name was Dave Runyon, Pastor Dave Runyon. He wrote a book about the art of neighboring. And I listened to it, and this is when I first really got convicted that I didn't know my neighbors at all. And uh, what was interesting is he told the story of how in his community a bunch of pastors gathered together, and they wanted to make an impact. You know, they wanted to know what were the greatest needs of our community and what can we do to help solve it or be a part or whatever. And as they gathered, they realized they didn't really know what their greatest need was. So they asked the mayor to come and just sit with them and have a little chat and they asked the mayor, like, hey, if you can wave a magic wand and make fill-in-the-blank disappear, like, what would you do? And so the mayor knew they were going to ask this question, so he, like, busted out a list. And um, he said, well, I would love it if we didn't have any financial debt, if we didn't have elderly shut-ins, if we didn't have, um, you know, at-risk kids, no single moms that lived under the poverty line. And then he kind of put, like, the list away, and he says, but, but I think if you really want to make an impact – you should start like a neighboring movement. And the pastors were like, what? And he said, like at that time, they were raising money to um, build like a really great boys and girls club facility, which is amazing because they do amazing work all throughout the communities that they're in. And so they're raising money for it and stuff like that. And he goes, but see, if there was a kid who didn't have a father, we could raise all the money that we want for this Boys and Girls Club, but, but wouldn't, be, wouldn't it be more impactful if he lived 
in a neighborhood or in a complex where healthy adults around him invited him into the fabric of their life. And he said, this is the thing. Relationship will always trump programs. Relationships will always, always trump programs. In a neighborhood where neighbors actually know each other's names, the crime rate falls by 80%. Neighbors who actually know each other's names, they live longer. And in a natural disaster, neighbors who actually know each other, they're the first responders because the system, when a natural disaster hits, the system's overloaded. There is something about being a neighbor. When Scott and I bought our home, we prayed and prayed about where and what house and what community and what city and what school system and all the stuff. And I can't help but think, if we could be so intentional about that, is it too far-fetched to think that God would be intentional about placing us right in the midst of the people he wants us to connect with? If everything else was important, don't we think that that would be important too? That despite the school district or the right house or the right city that, you know, or the right, it would be the neighbors. It would be the people that we sleep 30, 40 feet away from. Some of you guys have big, big lots, so I don't, your neighbors might be like 100 yards away or whatever. But they're still your neighbors. They still live on your street. I think back on um, people that are really, really great examples of a neighbor. And I think about my mom. And I don't know if it's like the Chinese culture. My mom doesn't even know the Lord yet. But um, maybe in the Chinese culture, because we, we grow up in community, it takes a village to raise your kids kind of thing. So he, they just have this, this mentality. My mom has, I don't, she just befriends all of her neighbors. I mean, throughout the years, she knows Susie and she knows, you know, so-and-so. And when they go to vacation and w- what their dog's names are and who's in the hospital and, you know, invites them over for open houses and, you know, talks to them when they're mowing lawns and they trade stuff, and, like, all the time, all the time. And let me tell you, English is not my mom's first language. Like, like she has a language barrier. What excuse do I have? <laughs> And my mom just does. She just, she knows all her neighbors. They all know her. They trade gardening secrets. I don't know. It's just amazing. It's amazing to watch. And she convicts me to know my neighbors. When Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself, you know it's really hard to know your neighbor if you don't even know their name? Pastor Dave Runyon gives a story about how um, he was so convicted as he was kind of digging into this himself. And he talks about the story of um, he started saying, like, I'm just going to I'm just going to go and meet my neighbors and at least learn their names. And this one time, one of his neighbors was out mowing his lawn and he was out getting his mail. And then he, you know, he was like, well, I'll just wait until he's done mowing his lawn, you know, and then I'll go back inside and wait. And then he's like, well, maybe that's awkward because then I'll be like staring at him and stalking him. And so. I should just go in and, you know, maybe, maybe I'll just wait until tomorrow. And he's like, no, I'm going to do it right now. So then he starts the awkward walk. You guys all know. Like, you're mowing your lawn. You see someone watching you and coming closer. And you're like, are they coming towards me? I mean, that's what he did. He started walking towards his neighbor mowing his lawn. And, like, direct eye contact, you know, like, <laughs> I'm coming to you. And, um, and so the guy, like, keeps mowing until he gets close enough. And it's, all, it's awkward. 
It's awkward. But Dave goes up and he's like, hey, I, I'm so sorry. I know like we've been here for a while. We just haven't officially met, but I'm Dave. And Dave says, um, <laughs> this guy returns and says, yeah, I know. I know who you are. I'm Matt. And Dave was like, I'm so humiliated. Like he, he knew who I was, but I didn't know who he was, you know. And he said, over the course of a period of time, like the, hey, Dave, you know, in the neighborhood became, hey, Dave, do you have something that I can borrow? You know, whatever. And then it became like, hey, Dave, did you catch the game last night? And then it became like, hey, Dave, I, I noticed that, like, your son's car is in your driveway a lot. Did he move back? How is that going? How are you guys? And just over the period of time, hey, Dave became friends with Dave. This just superficial, like, on the surface, how are you, became like, hey, let me care about what's happening in your life. And just organically became this thing. And now they, like, hang out every football season or something like that. Like, it's just amazing to me. And so I thought, you know, I, I'm going to challenge that for myself. And I challenge you, too, that the first step to even loving on your neighbor is just to learn their name. And so this is what I want us to do. In the seat back pockets in front of you, you'll see this little piece of paper right here. It's not a hashtag. <laughs> this is what I want you to do. I want you to take out a piece of paper, this paper, grab a pen, and in the center little square here, I want you to draw a house. It's going to be your house. You can draw it any way you want. Don't laugh at my drawing. You don't have to be like super elaborate on it either. This is not a competition. <laughs> so here's my house. It represents me and Scott and Jace and the new baby. Most of us live in a neighborhood where we have neighbors all around us. I, I actually don't have a neighbor right here. so. But you guys get the point. What I want to do is I want to take the next like 30 seconds and I want us to write down as many of our neighbors' names as you know on this piece of paper that live around you. And don't cheat. Don't look at your spouse's paper. How many do you know? You can add dogs if it makes you feel better because it adds a name to their square. But write down as many names as you know. How many of you guys know all eight of your neighbors? I shared this like a couple months ago. <gasps> Do we have somebody in here who knows all of her neighbors? Yes! Christy! Can we just like applause? Give her applause because, look, because this is the thing that's amazing. Because over and over, um, even when I shared this, uh, few months ago or whatever at K-Town, like most of us don't. We don't. And it takes intentionality. Um, and it takes that, you know, it takes the pursuit of people. And so uh, a couple months ago, I only had two names. Now I have three. Step in the right direction. I still have a long ways to go. This is the thing. Like, we're all in this together. It's a, it's a conviction for all of us. When we realize that when God says, look, 
like, yes, love on the person who serves your food and love on the person who bags your groceries and love on the person who stands in the corner asking for change. But at the very least, love on the people that are literally living in proximity to you. And, and so I have this on my refrigerator. And um, it reminds me that, one, I need to keep praying. Now, every time I, like, turn into my neighborhood, I pray, Lord, let there be somebody outside. Like, let there be somebody working in their yard. Because I'll tell you what I won't do is I won't be even more awkward and go and knock on their door. Like, that's just, I just, I know it's, like, already uncomfortable. That's just another, maybe, maybe next year God will work on me. But, but right now, I'm like, if they're out and I'm out, then, you know, it won't be as awkward. Last, last uh, service, I had a lady come up and say, hey, like, it's the Christmas season, though. Like, it's a great time to make a plate of cookies and bring it to your neighbors. I'm like, that's a great idea. I'll go buy cookies because it will not bless them when I make them. I'll go buy them. But it's my, it's my heart to have God's heart to know who my neighbors are. So I literally, I have this on my fridge. So not only can I pursue the people who are around me that I don't know, but then I can also pray for people by name. Not just like, oh, please, God, pray for that couple that lives in that corner that, like, by name. They have a name. And so I keep this on my fridge. It's a really great reminder. And um, as we even enter into this Christmas season, I know Pastor Daniel mentioned it last week a little bit, but we're, we're starting next week. Like, we're going to take all of December, and, um, and we're really going to make this an Advent season. And Advent is just the Latin word for coming. And it just means that, um, that we are in high anticipation of Christ's birth. And as we read, and we're going to for all of December, we're going to start from the very beginning and we're going to just talk about the heart of God and his dream for us and how much he wanted to be with us. And this great anticipation over and over and over again. How close, how he, he, made, he wanted to be with us, how much he wanted to just be with us. And finally, it was finally Christ on earth. And we're going to talk about that. And so even as God ministers to you personally, see, Jesus believed in neighboring so much he left heaven to come be with us right and so as God ministry ministers to you personally like how do we prepare our hearts for this season and then how do we prepare our homes for this season a lot of Jesus's ministry was done over the breaking of bread which is good because I love food <laughs> but in this next season Ask yourself, like, who can I invite over? It's family and friends, you know, close family and friends, of course, but maybe it's your neighbors. Maybe it's the people living around you. If we could, if we could capture the heart of neighboring and own our neighborhoods and be the people that say, I will not allow a single person in my neighborhood to spend Christmas alone. If we could own our neighborhoods like that, think about the impact that we would make all the neighborhoods represented in this room right now. And so, so pray about that. Who can you invite over at your dinner table to break bread with you? And then lastly, um, for ourselves, for those in close with us, but then also our community. 
end the season, there is this giving, there is this connection with our community. So we have this amazing opportunity um, with an organization called Angel Tree. And so we're going to watch this video together to learn more about it. I wish. I wish I could see my dad. I wish my family could be together for Christmas. I wish I had a dolly. A new dress. A soccer ball. I wish I could have my mom. I wish my dad could play catch with me. 2.7 million children have a simple wish this Christmas. To feel special. To feel remembered. To feel loved by a parent who's far away. You can help. It starts with a gift. A simple present from their parent reminding them they are loved and not forgotten. And the gift of knowing the love and support of their Heavenly Father. This calls for believers to take action. So while mothers and fathers are behind bars, kids are left behind. Families torn apart. This calls for churches across America to rise up and deliver gifts to children on behalf of parents in prison. You and your church become the hands and feet of Jesus. You deliver God's love and bring hope to those who need it most. Families are restored. Children find joy. Parents experience God's grace. It starts with a gift. Since 1982, Angel Tree, with the help of thousands of churches across the country, has reached more than 9 million kids with a gift the gospel, and a message from their incarcerated parent. These 2.7 million kids need to feel their parents' love this Christmas, and they need to know Jesus loves them, starting with the ones right here in your community. It's simple. It calls believers to put their faith into action. It inspires you and your family to live out the real meaning of Christmas. You bless the child of a prisoner with a gift and the good news of Jesus Christ. Every child has a story. Every child has a wish. Every child deserves a chance. It starts with a gift. It starts with you. This Christmas changed the life of a child forever. Isn't that amazing? So we have this opportunity right here in Kalamazoo, actually. So all of the kids that have a parent that's in prison, they reside here in our own community. And so we have this opportunity where we can, um, we have 59 kids that The Rock, we're owning them for this season. And after service, there's a table and a Christmas tree outside in the Welcome Center. And um, the tree have these little like tags on them every tag represents a kid and it's very personal so I picked this one and um, it has a little place where the parent can actually write a message to the kid themselves um, this one says Merry Christmas daddy loves you and misses you I hope you enjoy your Christmas makes me want to cry um, it's for a little boy named Jordan he's three and uh, the parent actually gets to kind of look through a catalog and give some recommendations of what they would love to give their kid for this Christmas season. And, uh, and it's just like, it's really personal. And, and not only that, we don't just go and buy the gifts and bring it here and then the organization distributes them. Like we are actually going to have an opportunity to go to this per kid's house and deliver the gift personally. 
and uh, see them face to face and give them a hug and kind of be that bridge um, for all of these kids. And so it's just, it's just, it's so moving to me um, thinking about these kids. So I really encourage you after service to go and grab a tag. What we're asking is that um, all the gifts that uh, we give, each gift is going to be about $20. And we ask that because there's a lot of families that have multiple kids in one house. And we want all of the kids to have about the same equal amount um, value of a gift. Um, and then when you guys go and you guys um, grab a tag, you'll sign up for a particular kid. You'll go out and buy the gift. And then we ask that you put it in a gift bag and bring it back. Please don't wrap it up. Just put it in a gift bag. We'll tissue paper and everything. And make sure you attach the tag to um, the gift bag. And then we'll have more information about how we can all be involved in the delivery of the gifts and to go and meet the families and the kid. Um, so I'm really, really excited about that. And it's just such a great way, and it's a personal way. Um, it's a really personal way to get to know the people in our community. So be sure to do that. If you guys can grab these Advent cards in the seat back pockets as well, um, there's probably a huge stack. So grab as many as your hand can hold. Um, this is the thing. Uh, I wouldn't be here if I wasn't personally invited to church. Like, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be saved. And so I am, I, I think every time I talk about inviting people, I get so, like, pumped up about it because it works. Like, and regardless of whether or not, like, like I, I can't tell you how thankful I am that Christy over here sitting in the front row invited me to church because I would not be here. And so please, grab these cards. Like, invite people that you come in contact with. Invite, put, stick it into that little cookie platter you're going to give your neighbors. And invite them to come to church with you. Um, starting next weekend, we're going to do this all of December. It's going to be a four-week um, series. So it's going to be really powerful as we take a journey together. So grab that. I'm going to pray for us right now as we um, hold these in our hands. If you want to grab the neighboring paper too. Um, let's just ask the Lord to speak to us personally. Father God, we thank you that you don't love us far away. God, you love us close by and personal and intimate. Lord, that you, Lord, you left heaven to be with us. And so this concept of being a neighbor and, and reaching those in proximity, Lord, that's your heart. So may we have your heart for your people. May we have that heart for our neighbors our family and friends. Lord, and as we enter into this Advent season, Lord, prepare us. Prepare us to be excited. Prepare us to be in anticipation and prepare our hearts to worship you, to fully understand what it means that God came to be with us. Lord, we, we love you. We give all glory to you, um, and we praise you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.